You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. To Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's going swimming with bow-legged women. It's Jeff McLarge Huge. I feel like I should crush a beer can on my head when you say that. Yeah, I'm going to show you the scar on my leg. The doll's <laughs> eyes. It rolled back like a doll's eyes. What does, Jeff? My children, when they look What's at you. What's going on? How oh, are you? Not much, man. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Before you repeat the rest of the scene from Jaws. Yes, right. That's... Not doing anything daredevilish lately, unlike oh, some people. Oh, what a lead-in that is. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, funny you should mention. As of this recording, next next weekend, or this weekend, I should say, is a little secret for you guys listening. We don't record, like, right away. We're, we're, we're recording from the past. We're, we're actually, like, 10 or 11 weeks uh, ahead of time. Yeah. So, anyway, as of this recording, on this coming Saturday, I am going ziplining. Ooh, fun. I, Fun and dangerous. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, I wouldn't say dangerous. I would say the death rate from uh, zip lining seems to be relatively low. It, it does seem to be relatively low. And I'm sure that those those who have given their lives in pursuit of the pleasure of zip lining have done things like, what does this button do? And then the harness opens and whew, down they fall to the floor of the jungle. That sounds like we're uh, going to be saying something else like that soon. <laughs> <laughs> No, I've never been ziplining. It's kind of a bucket list thing. Actually, so we're doing it over at the casino, right? We're doing yeah. They have it over at Foxwoods. My friend Clayton and I, a couple of years ago, had talked about doing it. And then uh, Clayton was diagnosed with lung cancer. Oh. And and he, and he didn't survive. So we never got a chance to go to our, our, uh, to do our ziplining. Right. But... Clayton was the person that taught me how to, not taught me how to ride a bicycle. My father taught me that. But it was Clayton that, like, got me into cycling as a recreational thing instead yep. of just transportation. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was, like, a big thing. And like I said, Clayton didn't get a chance to do it with me. So I'm actually, I got two bicycle chain links, mm-hmm. and I, I'm going to have them in my pocket. Uh, so Clayton's going to come and do it with me. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, zip lining is something I've always wanted to do, which is stupid because I'm really badly afraid of heights, especially when there's not like a lot of support. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be something. Like you know those big swing rides, like they have at amusement parks. <laughs> yes, the ones yes, that I bring do. you up like forty stories and shit like that. Yeah. Yep. What do they call it? It can be like park, like Galileo's Dream or something. Yeah, that one's not even that big. The one at Six Flags goes up, uh, Six Flags New England goes up super high. Mm-hmm. I hate those, like, oh, I don't know, like the world hates Hitler. I mm. <laughs> don't like those rides. I am so terrified. I will white knuckle and curse every animal in existence while I'm up there. I don't like those rides. But here I am going zip lining. Oh well, it's I mean, hey, you know, just. Uh... You know, just keep your eyes closed. <laughs> yeah. See, see if that take, helps. Take my $70. And then just, like, I open my eyes and there's, like, three guys standing in front of me with, like, high-powered fans. Right. It's like, wait a minute. Hey. hey. Zip, we're taking your money. It is a casino after all. Do you have any, like, cuckoo bananas, like, things like that that you want to try or do or get out of the way? I can't do too much of the death-defying stuff anymore because my heart is so messed up. So yep. even when I go to, like, if I was to go to Six Flags and you were like, Jeff, let's go on Galileo's Dream, only the big one that I don't like because it's 40 stories tall, I'd be like, there's a <laughs> sign there that says I can't go on that one. So pretty much my the extent of my thrill riding is, like, I can get on, like, the kiddie boats that go in a little <laughs> circle. But they don't like it when I'm on there because I'm way taller than everybody else. And I throw the, you know, the poor kid that get they put me with is, like, six feet out of the water. So not really my thing. I, I, I also don't. I don't respond to adrenaline the way normal people do because of the medicine mm-hmm. I take. So if something is really terrifying and would normally make me, you know, 
have the sort of fear reaction that normal people have. Mm-hmm. I get it just a tingling in my cheeks, but I'm not afraid of anything. Uh-huh. And then it takes days and days and days for all the adrenaline to sort of work its way out of my body. Oh, because wow. yeah, which can cause my heart to stop. Right, and um, I imagine no sleeping. It makes it well. No, again, I don't. Re- I don't respond to the adrenaline. It just eventually your body starts putting out other hormones to make the adrenaline go away. Oh, I see. And then, and then your heart's like, you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd be like, hey, welcome to Twibley. <laughs> uh, anybody want to host? So, <laughs> so yeah. So I don't do those. So my my death-defying days of daring do and ledger domain are, are behind me. But as for bucket list stuff, I don't know. Things I'd like to do, I'd like to, you know, drive cross-country. I'd like to leave the United States again, go to Europe, that sort of thing. But uh, sure, yeah. nothing that would require me to uh, stare death in the face. All right. So this is the week beginning, October the 18th. Before we get the show started, I do have my uh, well-received and very popular Trivia contest, uh, or trivia question. So, hey, you know that Lou Reed song, Wild Side? I do. The one that was used in that Honda scooter commercial in the 19, yes. like 1985. Yeah, and Marky Mark did a horrendous cover of it, too. I'm sure he did. Yes, he did. Uh, there is a very smooth and sexy saxophone uh, outro to that song. You're familiar? I am. Yeah. Did you know that that was played by somebody famous? I'm going to guess that I did know that, but I don't know exactly who. Who plays the saxophone at the end of Lou Reed's Wild Side? The end of Lou Reed's Wild Side. And it sounds like a tenor sax. And my first thought is to say Clarence Clemens, but I'm I'm just going to hold that as not a guess, but a a reflection on life until we get to the end of the show. Reflection on life. Reflection on life, yes. All right. Uh, As I'm staring down the twine of the zip line, I'm just going to think do, 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 do. All right. So this is the week beginning, October the 18th, and is your turn to start. All right. October the 18th, 1931. American gangster like FBI wanted number one, Chicago crime lord Al Capone is convicted of can you guess what crime Al Capone was convicted of? That's the guy who murdered people. He bootlegged liquor. He ran houses of prostitution in Chicago. He was the, he head was of the a most giant, notorious gangster in most the world notorious at that gangster time. In the yeah. world. Yep. Public enemy number one. Yeah. Public enemy number one. I'm the one with the trivia questions around here, and it's actually uh, you know pretty well common knowledge that our good friend Al Capone, uh, for all of his troubles, went to prison for tax evasion <laughs> tax of all things because yep. the IRS is like in there. They are uh, fearless. When even the FBI can't bring the guy down for murdering people, the IRS is like, you know what? Let me let me have a look at his W two forms, and I'll get right back to you. Oh no, we got to bring this guy in. Yeah. <laughs> look, he claimed his dog is dependent. That's that's like a that's like a two year sentence right there. Right. <laughs> um, he spent time in a couple of prisons, but I think it was um for for the tax evasion one. He was in Pennsylvania. He was in prison in like Pennsylvania, uh, Pittsburgh, I think. Okay. And I've seen pictures of his cell because he had a sh- surprisingly large amount of money to throw around. Yep. He had a private cell with a chair and a radio and a bed with nice linens on it. And he could have visitors and things. He also caught syphilis there, which Ooh. eventually killed him in 1948. <laughs> I think they let him out because he was like a babbling idiot from syphilis. And he went to Florida and ran out the clock for a year and a half or two before he died. So he... He went cuckoo bananas and went to Florida, huh? Yep. Boy, that doesn't seem that, <laughs> that doesn't seem like something that would happen. How little things have changed. So moving on to October the nineteenth, October the nineteenth, fifteen thirty-three. A German monk, Michael Stiefel, I think I believe is the pronunciation of his name. Any relation uh, to Michael Stiefel from REM? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I'm going to guess this guy doesn't have any descendants because he was a German monk. Ah. Um, he was an influential mathematician, inventor oh. of the early form of logarithms, and he actually coined the term exponent. Oh. So that's our good friend, Michael Stiefel. So on October 19th, 1533, using clues from the Bible, he had predicted Judgment Day and the end of the world would occur on that day. So what you're saying, it was the end of the world as he knew it? And he felt fine, yes, by Michael Stiefel, yes. (laughs) 
Uh, so he, he he said it was going to happen October 19th, 1533, at 8 o'clock in the morning, time zones notwithstanding. You know, say what you want about the Germans, but they are precise. Yes. <laughs> Joke number one. Yes. <laughs> Take my wife. I command you. <laughs> uh, you, you did not say please, therefore we will annex your wife. <laughs> so uh, many of the town folk uh, thought uh, this prediction was going to be accurate. Uh, they didn't plant any of the crops or store yeah, any food. Why would they? Or store any food. Yeah, it's like, you know, vacation time. Store any food. Uh, and some of them actually burned their homes and possessions when the day got there. It's like, you know, why? I've always wanted to burn my house to the ground. Why not, right? I guess the guy must have been charismatic, like yeah. you know. Yeah, I can't. I can't even imagine being like. Well, clearly he's done his. Uh, like I, you know, what do you what do you do, Horst? What's your job? Well, I milk a cow. Yeah. And uh, have you ever been to school, Horst? I go to church and they tell me stories. Right. Do you know so what I'm an exponent is? <laughs> right. Do you know what Do you know what a logarithm is? <laughs> I know that if I bang my hands on a log, it makes a rhythm close enough. Burn your house down. Yeah. Burn it maybe, to the maybe ground. He just, maybe he was just an arsonist, but yeah. an arsonist once removed. He's got Buchhausen by proxy arsonist. <laughs> right, exactly. The only diagnosis in the world ever. Uh, yeah. So anyway, after uh, after the end of the world did not happen, uh, our good friend uh, Michael Stifel had to be taken into protective custody uh, with the villagers chanting death threats outside of his cell. This does not surprise me in the slightest. And I'm going to guess that that started like right at 8.01 a.m., yeah. 1533. <laughs> yeah, and I can just picture like like Ted Knight from Caddyshack. Well, we're <laughs> waiting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, the world needs ditch diggers too. All right, moving on to the 20th. October 20th, 1986. The Russian airline Aeroflot, which has a flawless safety record. <laughs> pilot of Soviet passenger jet flight 6502 <laughs> bets his co-pilot that he can land the plane with the cockpit shutters closed f- using only instruments. Wait, hold on. He bet his co-pilot? Yep. Like, hey, may... I, I wonder how much they bet, like five bucks? Uh, probably rubles. I bet you eight rubles I can land this plane and not kill everyone on board only using one instrument. The instrument of good luck. I bet you a turnip that I can land this plane. I bet you four rolls of one-ply toilet paper, two of which have been wet and then dried out again, that I can land plane. Also, plane has no wheels. Go figure. Uh, All right. So uh, who won the bet? So, yeah, well, assuming that the co-pilot took the bed and didn't go, Dimitri, you are crazy. <laughs> Do not close those windows. But um, I don't know that he did that. So assume that the bet take, took place. The plane comes down way too fast, 100, 150 knots or 174 miles an hour and smashes into the runway <laughs> and flips over and kills 70 people. Jesus. Pilot, he doesn't die. The co-pilot, he dies of a heart attack. I'm laughing, and this is terrible. Dies of a heart attack, and uh, the pilot not only lost the bet, but he spent six years in jail. He's like one of the only survivors. He killed 70 people being an asshole, and he only got six years in prison? What What I want to know is... Boy, well, the Russians are lenient. It's, it's because when they arrested him, he was outside, and like this, there are a couple survivors, and he's like, thank you for flying Aeroflot. Thank you for flying Aeroflot. Thank you. Thank you for flying Aeroflot as the plane is on fire around them. And I have a, I had a friend uh, in college named Balant Keller from Hungary and who grew up in uh, Hungary when it was a, so- a Soviet bloc country, Eastern bloc country. Yep. And the joke that they had was that in, in Hungarian was that uh, why was Aeroflot the fastest airline in the world? Okay. Because it could go from Budapest to Oslo in 30 seconds. And Oslo was Hungarian for broken into pieces. <laughs> <laughs> So their safety record is has always been less than stellar. That's and that's like a really bad arrow flop. It doesn't sound like like it flopped over on its back. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. Well, I'm sure in Russian it probably means like fantastic airplane. <laughs> in the United States, it sounds like uh, I dropped my airplane on the ground. It flopped. You know, it it sounds like hey Dmitri, watch this. The famous last words. Okay. You know, this flight has been kind of boring. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious, but not really a great story. So here's something. October the 21st, 1918, a woman by the name of Margaret Owen sets the world typing speed record. 
Now this is 1918, dude. This is one of those. 1918. This is one of this isn't like a, a little keyboard like I have in front of me right now. This right. is like one of those big clunkers that you could like. You ever see Misery? One of those. Yeah. 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 A big ass manual typewriter. Yeah. It's 150 pounds of solid steel. Right. Well, Maggie over here was going 170 words per minute for one minute. Oh my, that's so. F- I I type about 80 words per minute on a regular computer typewriter mm-hmm. with some missing spaces and misspelled words occasionally but i can't even imagine 170 words per minute on a manual typewriter she must have had like fingers of steel how'd you like to get a titty twister from her <laughs> just stop or she just pokes at you to say hey i'm, I'm asking you a question and your finger <laughs> goes right through your chest and touches your spine <laughs> 170 words a minute you know to be honest i don't even think i read that fast that is fat. Uh, human reads about 250 words a minute, I think. That is screaming, yeah. Yeah, that is, that's really fast. And, like, listen to my son type on his mechanical typewriter. Yep. He's about 30 to 35 words a minute, and he types fast. Yeah. And it's you can only do it for so long, and your fingers get really tired. So I'm, I'm not surprising that it's 170 words per minute for one minute. It's not like 170 words per minute for 10 minutes because at that point her fingers would have just fallen off and she would have spontaneously evolved lobster claws to keep her from ever typing again. My typing speed, I think, was probably like 30 or 40 words a minute. Again, like you get those those programs on your computer. How fast can you type? Kind of a thing. Right. And um, I actually learned how to type from playing adventure games on my Commodore 64. I used to play Zork. Remember Zork? I do. Yeah, I played that so much that I actually learned where all the letters were, you know, and how to type however fast I was going to type on that by virtue of playing that so much. I went to Dartmouth Middle School and as one of our special areas, which was what the eighth graders could take mm-hmm. in between the regular classes, we had uh, typing was a third of the year. Oh, wow. So for a third of the year for actually you could start that in sixth grade, I did... Uh, ASDF JKL Sam on an old Olympia typewriter, an old mechanical typewriter, uh, with my hands covered by a piece of paper taped, so it covered my hands up, so I couldn't look at the keys. Oh wow! And that's how we learned to touch type and to to pass the class. I think we had to type twenty words a minute by the end of either sixth or seventh grade. Oh jeez! And then eighth grade we had cooking class, but that was where I learned was on a manual typewriter. So I still I still kind of touch type. Oh really? Um. Because I've got messed up nerves in a couple of fingers. Yep. I type with uh, seven fingers instead of ten, but I can type pretty fast. So. Oh. You type with the same amount of fingers that I don't bowl with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I didn't have any elective classes like that. See, I never went to public school. For high school, I went to a state school. You know, we went. We both went to the vocational, and then for nine years of elementary school. I went to Catholic school, which we learned all about what's coming up on the 22nd. What do we got, Jeff? On the 20 <laughs> On the 22nd in 1988, the TV special that my mom watched and made me watch called Devil Worship: Exposing Satan's Underground. It was a TV special hosted by America's favorite garbage reporter, Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, didn't he do uh, one on, on Al Capone too? On NBC, yes, he did, and the Andrea Doria, Al Capone's vault, yeah. which contained uh, some bathtub gym bottles, and some. that was it. How do you still have a job, El Geraldo? How? How? Yeah. Well, anyway, so he was, you know, this is like right, at 88 is like right in the middle, right in the middle of the satanic panic. Yeah, right, right, where, right at the heart of it, right. Right. That's where like there's that Oprah script was going around, which had the Procter and Gamble logo is like a satanic logo and Arm and Hammer is a satanic baking soda or some other stupid thing. And and people were like, you know, freaking out about record albums and Dungeons and Dragons. And oh, my God, little Johnny's worshiping Satan and this stupid thing. This stupid, stupid thing is is where it really broke into public consciousness thank you Geraldo Rivera yeah I had just started working I just started uh, like factory work right and so this is 88 so I was out of high school for about a year we weren't allowed to have long hair in high school for safety reasons so and it was the 80s so I had grown my hair out long going to school my mother never let me dress like a quote-unquote ragamuffin her words not mine Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, my mom used that word a lot yeah. too. So once I got out, <laughs> must be a generational thing. Yeah. So once I got out of high school, I, you know, I was buying concert shirts because I, I wanted yeah. to wear, you know, band shirts and stuff like that, which I still occasionally do to this day. So here I am. I go to work, 
like the day after the uh, the TV special there, exposing Satan's underground, and I am wearing an Alice Cooper T-shirt that says "The Nightmare Returns" on the back of it, right? Because I'm pretty cool, and I, you know, I got the long hair going and all that. Mm-hmm. So this woman who had just saw the special asks mm-hmm. me this question, and if she would have worded it differently, life would have been much different for me. Right. She said, do you believe in the devil? Now, at the time, I was still a practicing Catholic, and I figured, right. well, if I believe in God, I believe in the devil. So she says, do you believe in the devil? And I was like, yeah. But what she was trying to ask me, because English wasn't her first language, was, do you right. worship the devil? And I said, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it took years to break away from that reputation of being the kid that worships the devil. Like, yeah, they would leave, like, religious pamphlets on my windshield and stuff like that. Yeah, but something else. This is where – and you still work at that same place, right? Yeah. I will see that woman tomorrow, and I will will say thanks a lot. (laughs) Whenever they went through any rounds of layoffs, they were like, uh, Cabral, yeah, we're going to drop that guy. Dufresne, yeah, he's – yeah, we'll get rid of him. Sorry about that. With one L. Uh – want to risk it <laughs> uh how about easton yeah we'll get rid of easton so i'm sure that the fear of a hex is what protected you a couple of times yeah whenever i heard layoffs were coming up i would always put my red contact lenses in safety first <laughs> right just take out take a red paper mate pen and draw a pentagram on your forearm <laughs> start talking backwards <laughs> Speaking of which, do you remember you and I went to see one of those Satan is in your rock and roll record lectures? Yeah. Oh, my God. I do. Uh, I mean, maybe my memory is not the the clearest on it, but, you know, you and I are both music aficionados and both know, like, a wicked lot about, you know, not just the music, but, like, who made it and stuff. We are, yeah, we're well-rounded musically. We are definitely. And, like, the guy, like, brought up um, you know, I, the one that sticks out in my mind in particular was the album Paradise Theater by Styx. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the most satanic album ever. Right. Yeah. It goes, look, he's like, look at the album cover. It's a beautiful theater. And on the back, after the devil comes to town, it's all destroyed and all that. And I yeah. was like, did you ever bother, like, opening up the album? It tells the story that the Paradise right. Theater was a vaudeville theater. It was meant to last forever. But then television right. happened, and vaudeville subsequently right. died shortly thereafter. Well, we know who that fault that really was. It was Satan. Oh, yeah. And then, like, Satan. he was like, please save all your questions till the end of the of the lecture. I remember that. And then too. he just said, uh, you know, uh, I forgot the second thing he brought up, and I'm like, my hand's up in the air again. He's like, he actually told me to shut up after a while. Yeah. They had, like, people walking the aisles, like, telling people to sh- sit down and stop yelling and stuff. It was, it was insane. Yep. The very first piece of anything I ever got published uh, was a letter to the editor in the Standard Times about a similar... Uh, event oh, really? that they had advertised was coming to town. And I, I wrote a letter to the editor. This is like 1990 uh-huh. and went up one upside of them and down the other for, for running it as if it was news. Right. Yeah. That caused a bunch of problems for people and Although- messed up people's careers. And, and it goes to show that like, I'm going to say this and I, I mean this in the, in the nicest way possible. Middle-class white people need something to be afraid yep. of so that they can give their money to people who make them feel safe. And so many charlatan BS artists uh, profited off of the fears of these regular, I'm saying regular folks with my non-satanic folks uh, during this time. Yeah, this country has a long and storied history with moral panics. And uh, there's a great podcast called You're Wrong About. I've brought them up before. But they really go deep diving into like moral panics and stuff like that. That's... It's a recommendation. After you get listened, done listening to Twibbly, pop over to You're Wrong About. And I will put on my top hat, which also caused a moral panic yes. when I listened to it, because that's the kind of country that we uh, are. You know what song caused a big moral panic was uh, Baby's Got Back by... <laughs> so anyway, uh, Sir Mix-A-Lot put out Baby Got Back. I forget what year it was. It was the early 90s. So this woman was either inspired by the song or inspired the song herself. Speaking of big old butts. <laughs> October 23rd, 1992, a woman is detained for having an unusually large buttocks. She was attempting to smuggle a pound and a half 
of surgically implanted heroin through a Colombian airport. And I'm sure that someone was looking at her bum and going, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not normally that shape. That is. Because a, po- a pound isn't that much. It must have looked like she had a giant, like, ass boil. Yeah, exactly. That's a, <laughs> Are you okay, ma'am? That's no. pretty square for an ass boil. <laughs> Exactly, right, exactly. Did you is that a wallet? Is that where you keep your wallet? You just like with it's weird. I know it's like lady, why didn't you wear a hoop skirt, you freaking you know? Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. I'm probably just tight jeans that just made it like show. Oh what like one of those like jumpsuits there, the spandex jumpsuits. So I went looking up to find more information about this woman, like how old she was, was she fat to begin with, and this, that, and the other. And I literally got lost in a sea of horrible stories of people smuggling things in their butt. Uh, I could not yeah. find any further information about her, but I did find lots of stories of people smuggling heroin uh, in and around their uh, butt and other places. Yep. Heroin, cell phones, firearms, other paraphernalia, all kinds of terrible things. People like really do this and it's not yep. good. The, the scary ones are like the folks that swallow. Like, oh, right, yeah. Stuff, and eventually the, sometimes they break, and it's like, you've got, you just swallowed a pound of cocaine. You're, you're going to die. Yeah, they, uh, they, they'll wrap it up in, in condoms and then yeah. swallow that. And then, you know, just when you think your job sucks, you know, <laughs> think about being a digestinal drug runner. Uh, you know, knowing if the, if the condom breaks, you're really dead really fast. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Not yep. not good. Uh, and wrapping up the week on the 24th. Hey. October 24th, 1929, super popular singer Rudy Valley, who's who sounds like this when he sings <laughs> through a big hoop, gets a show nationwide on NBC radio called The Fleischman's Yeast Hour. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? So, the yes, Rudy Valley's The Fleischman's Yeast Hour begins broadcasting on NBC You know, Radio. if I'm not mistaken, so, I think Fleischman basically has the yeast market corner because they still make yeast. They're still there. They do. Like, when you they buy dry do. yeast, you're buying it from Fleischman. Yes. More, more times than not. Like I said, I think they got the market cornered. I don't know if it's cornered, but they, they definitely do make the bread machine yeast and the stuff in the packets that's all over supermarkets yeah. that you can get today. It's like Kellogg's doesn't make the only cornflakes, but they're the only ones you buy, yeah. Exactly, yes. The reason I picked this story is because even in 1929, advertising sucks. This is before they they figured out how to put commercials during a show. Right. So it'd be like, hey, everyone, I just did that song about the Zigfield Follies girl, and let's have a conversation about Chesterfield cigarettes. And then for five minutes, right? They didn't do that. So they would get a sponsor who just paid for the whole show, and then they'd work in like... You know, when I'm baking bread, I always use Fleischmann's yeast. And then the big band would start up again, and he'd sing a song about hoop skirts and top hats and oh my god, gangsters and whatever. Sensation, yeah. Um, and I was thinking about this in like the the baseball stadium here where, near where I live for the Fisher Cats. That's our yep. team, our minor league team, is called the Northeast Delta Dental Stadium. Oh. The big indoor arena where I saw Rush and I've gone to see like the Lipizzaner Stallions and I saw the Walking with Dinosaurs thing years ago. That you think it would be called like, you know, like the Manchester Civic Center. But it's not. It's the SNHU Public Arena. Now, back when we were kids, when you lived down here, the main concert arena to go see shows was... Yeah, it was either the Providence Civic Center or the Worcester Central. Now, the Providence Civic Center, that just sounds... It just sounds like where you go see a concert, the Providence Civic Center. Well, now it's called the Dunkin' Donut Center, which is now and also colloquially referred to as the Dunk. The Dunk. Now, let me tell you something. I saw Ted f***ing Nugent play at the Providence Civic Center. I didn't see Ted Nugent play at the Dunk. Okay, that's just, it's so insulting. It is. And, and you know what? Like, all these places were, they weren't, they didn't spring out of the ground. It wasn't like Dunkin' Donuts was like, hey, you know what? I bet if we put a venue in here, we could draw a bunch of people in, and then we could sell them watery coffee and donuts that all taste the same, irrespective right. of flavor, while they listen to Ted Nugent. 
They just paid for the rights to put their name on it. That stadium was built with tax right. money. The same way the stadium here was built with tax money. The same way the Verizon Center, which is what the SNHU public thing used to be called, was built with tax money and tax right. breaks and, uh, so that someone that would have was, it. That Worcester and, Centrum that you mentioned before is now DCU, which is a bank. Yep. Yeah, exactly. DCU or Boston Garden is TD Bank right. North Garden. Like, you know what the weirdest one is? I don't know what it was called before, but down in Florida, like in Orlando, their main auditorium over there is the Amway Center. And like, yeah. to me, Amway just... I don't know anybody that's ever made money with Amway. It seems they're... <laughs> the problem is once you go in there to see somebody, they won't let you out until you get three other friends right. to come in. You're bankrupt, yeah. yeah. You have, you have to buy $3,000 worth of tickets and then sell them off. <laughs> <laughs> and then so scalp them, your, right? You have to become your own ticket. To all agency. your friends, yeah. That's how it's the only way. Get right. your friends involved. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you end up a pariah amongst your your people. But no, it's it's it, that that's something that's always irritated me. I I have problems with advertisements in yep. general, but like that really gets on my nerves. Like that kind of stuff. So thanks a lot, Fleischmann's East Hour. Same thing with like, remember the King's Biscuit Flower Hour? That was a sponsored yep. Concert, um, yeah. music show. Well, don't, don't start talking too much smack there, Jeff, because sooner or later it's going to be, hey, you know, I just joined the Dollar Shave Club, <laughs> oh. and uh, I also get Blue Apron, uh, food delivery service, and... Uh, We're sponsored by yeah. Audible.com. Go listen yeah, to Yeah, go listen to... I, I listen to books all the time. Yeah. You know, whenever I'm not editing a podcast, which takes me six, hours, six to eight hours every week, and doing research for the show, which also takes me a couple of hours every week. I got plenty of time to listen to audiobooks. So. You know what I like to do when I'm listening to audiobooks, Bill? I like to shave my balls, <laughs> and I do that with the Dollar Shave Club. With the, yeah, with, yeah. With, man, with the Manscaper Lawnmower 5000, yeah. And just, just to get the things out of the way, I pop a couple of blue chews <laughs> just to, you know, <laughs> give me some air to breathe. And then I'm down there just cutting the grass. <laughs> All right, moving on to the Celebrity Birthdays. October the 18th, 1926, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and piss enthusiast, Chuck Berry. Uh, we've said before, like, the guy who built an amusement park out yep. of spite and pretty much toured until he yep. died. Uh, with no one knowing uh, who was in his band, because uh, it was whoever he could find yeah. in town. Chuck Berry, and likes to play with his sure thing. Sure I remember being a kid and having like one of those K-Tel, you know, Dumb Diddy's albums mm -hmm. and wanting to bring it to school. And my mother's like, no way, because that first song on the album was My Diggling by Chuck Berry. So I ended up having to like record the album onto cassette and skip that song just so I could bring it to school. But the best thing about that song for me is like, I didn't even know there was a Chuck Berry song until I was almost an adult. <laughs> so I had an aunt and uncle, a great aunt and great uncle who used to have like a little band called the two of us, my uncle Manny and my aunt Vivian. Yep. And they used to play like at Christmas, they'd come and they'd bring a banjo and a mandolin and a guitar. And they'd sing songs with everybody right. in our family, my dad's side of the family. And they used to do my dingling, yep. which was wicked funny. And it was like the song that we used to cry out for like a hundred times at Christmas until my dad was like, that's it. I'm just taking the bottle of whiskey and going outside. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I know that song from. And then I heard Chuck Berry. I'm like, Oh my God, I wonder if they knew my, he knew my aunt. <laughs> Well, obviously right. not, but... He might have pissed on him. You don't know. <laughs> he may have. He may have. You never All right, know. next up. October 19th, 1945, uh, a severely underrated actor named Harris Glenn Milstead, known more to the world as Divine. Oh! Yeah, who became famous for being a sort of drag queen movie star in John Waters' weird-ass movies in the 1970s. But as he got older and John Waters' films got, I don't want to say more respectable, but became more mainstream, Yes, he brought Divine with him. Right. And yeah. is this is the star in the very best version of a hairspray, right? Playing the mother in hairspray. So we talk a lot about like what are your pronouns and all that stuff. And divine, I don't think divine has pronouns. Divine is like an adjective, right? Divine is something something different, something special. Yeah, divine is one of a kind. From pink flamingos to polyester to girl trouble to crybaby to hairspray, like he's the best thing to watch in all of those. He's so funny. Yeah, and so out there and willing to do so much of anything. He's the nastiest. Yep, he's the nastiest. All right. So moving on to the twentieth, October the twentieth, nineteen fifty-nine. Wow. I honestly didn't think he was that young. I thought he was much older. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah. Yep. Professional wrestler Scott Hall, probably most commonly known as Razor Ramon, 
Although his stint with the NWO is probably his biggest, you know, what he's most famous for in wrestling. So I guess Scott Hall, you know, the bad guy, Chico. Hey, yo. Yeah, Scott Hall, he started out uh, wrestling. He was known as the Diamond Stud. And he used to have like a mustache. He looked terrible. And then he, <laughs> and then he moved on to the WWE. And uh, they had him playing almost like a Tony Montana kind of character named Razor Ramon. And then he famously showed up in uh, the rival wrestling promotion, the WCW, under yeah, his I remember that. Yep, under his real name Scott Hall, and everybody thought the WWE was infiltrating the WCW, and the NWO went on to become the biggest storyline in wrestling history. Unfortunately for Scott Hall, he had a lot of demons, a lot of demons, more so, more than Geraldo Rivera could ever hope to find. And, you know, he came very close to dying uh, from alcoholism and stuff. Yeah. Matter of fact, they actually had to put him, I forget the name of the drug, they put you on a drug that if you were on it and you drink alcohol, it makes you really, really sick. Is it the same stuff they gave to Keith Moon? Yeah, it didn't work for him either. And it was it was ultimately uh, a fellow wrestler, Diamond Dallas Page, um, you know, one of my life heroes. I love that guy. Yeah. He's, he's the one of the most positive people you're going to meet this side of Bill with 1L. Yeah, through his yoga and his constant, you know, just being there for him. Uh, yeah, Scott Hall uh, straightened out, and he's a twice WWE Hall of Famer now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, definitely a shout out to DDP yeah. for that. I, I did watch that. The resurrection of Jake the Snake. Resurrection Roberts. of Jake the Snake. Roberts. Yeah, yeah, I believe that the Scott Hall story is a part of that documentary. It's part of that. Yeah, it's right? like an epilogue. Yeah, because I remember watching it and thinking, like, wow, this guy's amazing. Yep, he's got uh, more patience than I'll ever have. All right, moving on to the 21st. October 21st, 1949, Manfred Sepsi Lubavitz is born in South Africa. Goodness, who's that? Uh, you may know him better as keyboard player Manfred Mann. Oh. From Manfred Mann's Also for the Manfred Mann's Earth Band doing Blinded by the Light and one of the terrible white boy reggae songs, The Mighty Quinn. Yes. Uh, Have you ever heard Manfred Mann's cover of The Police's Demolition Man? No. All right, see, I love the song Demolition Man by the Police, and I love Grace Jones's really strange cover of it. Man- right? That's Yeah, that's the song I came to know that song yeah. from. I didn't even realize it was a police song until after I'd heard Grace Jones oh, no do kidding. it. Manfred Mann's cover of it is terrible, and the video of it makes it worse. They're riding around in go-karts. Oh. <laughs> I guess to make up for it, the Fools did a kind of an okay version of Do I Diddy. Yes. So, yes, they did. Which they're not riding around in go-karts, all right, so moving on to October 22nd, 1903, Jerome Lester Horowitz. Boy, we're, we're in, a, in a mood for long Jewish names this episode. Seems to be. Yep, so this man, Jerome, was known more commonly to his family and friends as Babe, but you all would know him as Curly Howard from the Three Stooges. Yeah. Yep. Ah, my favorite of the Stooges. I think everybody's favorite of the Stooges. Um, There's a couple of Shemp holdouts. I'm a Shemp holdout myself. Uh, That's it. That's it. You're out of the band. (laughs) Uh, Curly actually did not like shaving his head. He did that for for the role, uh, which led to um, a lot of drinking. And he died young. He died in his early 40s from a series of strokes brought on by a lot of drinking. Yeah, I watched a documentary about on YouTube about sort of the end of his life and how it showed some of the clips from like the last short yeah. that he was filming, the last scene that he filmed before he sat down. He's like, I don't feel good. And then had a, like a massive stroke. And then the bit where he'd come back and had a bit part because he was on set and they put him in a short on it as a guy on a train that they lift the hat off of. And right, right, right. it was really, it was really weird and sad to watch, but really interesting. He was a, a, a huge animal lover, too. I, get, I I saw something that he used to rescue dogs all the yeah, time. Every yeah. town he went yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Married a bunch of times, kind of lousy with money, but I guess that sort of falls into that 1930s working for Max Sennett or whatever the, the studio that they were for, right. that they were in. All right, next up. October 23rd, 1976, American heartthrob Ryan Reynolds. Oh, uh, uh, known but, yeah. most recently yep. for uh, his work as Deadpool. Yes, my ex-girlfriend was a huge fan of Ryan Reynolds. I remember, like I, I only knew him from the Amityville Horror remake at that time, and I was like Ryan Reynolds. You know, I was like, you know, really putting up a stink about it. But we watched Waiting. You ever see that movie? Oh, uh, that movie's real. That movie's yeah. That movie's working. Yeah, funny. and uh, another movie that he was in called just friends him and his 
you know, gal pal from high school meet up years later, and he was like the fat kid in school, and now he's like all dreamy and hunky and and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, that's a really 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 funny movie too. He was in a really funny body switching movie with uh, Jason Bateman. I can't remember the name of that film either, where they both pee in the fountain at the same time and they switch bodies. <laughs> and his job was like he was in like softcore porn films. So he continues to play him, sort of himself, but as if he's inhabited by Jason Bateman. Yeah. And he's so funny as like all of a sudden he has no swagger. Yeah. It was a wicked, wicked, funny, funny movie. Yeah. He's yeah. got amazing comedic chops for sure. Yeah. What he was doing in Amityville Horror is beyond me. And wrapping up the celebrity birthdays, a woman after my own heart. Anne Edson Taylor. She was born in. She was born on October twenty fourth in eighteen thirty eight. She is the first woman to successfully go over Niagara Falls in a barrel and live to tell about it. Huh. So that's a thing yeah. to be. <laughs> Which. That's and that's one of those things too. Like just the way that's worded, it implies that. Many a person tried it before and didn't make a make it out the other side. And the the best part about this story is she did it on her birthday. She did it on her sixty third birthday. So yeah, so she's good thing she didn't have like osteoporosis, or she would have just been like chalk dust when she got to the bottom. Oh, she would have looked like a, a like a when you break the spork inside the bag and just like jingle it around. <laughs> Before I've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know, you'd hear the legend of people going over in a barrel. And I, yeah. and my, I remember my parents telling me that's illegal. And I was like, why is it illegal? And they go, because it's kind of like suicide is why. Right. And I go, well, if people want to do that, why, why not let them? They go, because they have to pull these bodies out. That's why. Right. It, it costs money. <laughs> yeah. and they don't, they're like, the tourists don't like to see that. Like, right. aren't the falls majestic? Yeah. Oh, look, there's like the last five dead people, like, bobbing back and forth against the rocks caught in ebb tide. Right. Yeah. So um, I, <laughs> then, then I remember going to Niagara Falls for the first time, which was actually my second time because my first time I didn't actually see Niagara Falls, reference to a previous episode. But then if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, whoever looked at that and said, I can do it, is a madman, is a crazy person because no. <laughs> Just no. So, hey, uh, you know how I like to do those segues into the next segment? Worst song ever. All right, Jeff, what's in the canon this week for the worst song ever? Oh, I have loaded the canon, Bill. I've loaded the canon with all kinds of awfulness. With crap. So there's kind of a consistent theme. If you listen to Twibbly long enough, you'll find that there's a consistent theme with our worst song ever. There's stuff that we think is really awesome Yep. that most people don't like. There's stuff that's outsider and interesting that we both think is cool. And it's nobody listens to it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then there's garbage. Yes. And then this is actual physical garbage. Right. So uh, let me set the scene for you. It's the it's 1980. Disco is like that. It's like an an action movie. It's the guy that's been shot once, uh. and they're about to shoot him again, and put him out like the double tap. So he isn't quite dead yet. He's kibbying around on the ground. Yep. And he's gonna say that and, killer line that like just makes the movie right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like don't shave my nuts. And then they blow his head off, right? Um, well, this is the this is disco. It's doing this, this death kibby, <laughs> and they're getting ready to pull the trigger. There's all kinds of garbage now that's been just thrown into the disco hopper that's worked on killing it. So there's Kiss doing their disco song, the Rolling Stones doing their disco song, Rod Stewart, Rod Stewart yep. doing his disco song. There's a ton of crap disco songs, and then there's people who just munge garbage together with a disco backbeat. The one that was the most popular started with a song called "The Fifth of Beethoven." Oh, yeah, I remember you know, that. Is, right? Beethoven's fifth with a disco backbeat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. Jump ahead to 1981. That was like 1978. Jump ahead to 1981. Disco's dying. They've already had the Disco Sucks riots and stuff. Yep. And unleashed upon the world and making traction all over is this thing called Stars on 45. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, which is a medley, a four or five minute medley of songs from the past sung by soundalikes placed against the disco backbeat. It was like 98% Beatles songs, though, wasn't it? It was mostly Beatles songs, but it starts out with sugar. Yep. Oh, honey, honey. And then it goes into like Paperback Writer, a couple of other songs. Anyway, a string of Beatles songs together. Maybe You Can Drive My Car is one of them. But they only do like 25 seconds of each one. But it's all done to the... 
all the way through. I don't even think there's an oonk. I think it's just... It's just a single clapping beat, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, but you know what's incredible about it is, because I remember when that song was like popular and on the radio, I think my brother actually had the album, is it took me forever to realize that those weren't the actual Beatles songs. Those are sound-alikes. Those are studio musicians. I didn't know that until I was researching this record. Oh, my God. All right. This week. For, for an example, I'm going to play a clip, and yep. the trained ear, or... The antagonist uh, person out there will be like, oh, I can tell that's not the Beatles. Right. Clearly that's not John. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, well, I was I was like 10 when this song right. was on the radio. So. Yeah, to the untrained ear, listen to this. These guys do sound a lot like the Beatles. I'm giving credit where credit's due. Yep. And that's the, no, that's no. where the credit ends. <laughs> <laughs> so the weird thing about stars on 45 is, one, there are no stars in it. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and two, it comes to us from the land of the Dutch. Actually, the founder of Golden Earring is the producer who put this record together. What? Because he had hurt. Yep. Uh, there was a mashup record that was being passed around in clubs and stuff. Yep which was a bunch of disco songs sort of medley together like this, released on a non-existent record album called Alto. And he ended up with it. He's like, huh, this is pretty interesting. You can take 37 minutes worth of music and scrunch it down to six minutes. Right. And you can play it in a club and people will dance around. I bet I can do this with other stuff. Right. And pulled in people and was like, hey, you sound like the guy that sings for the Archies that's not a cartoon character. You sound like... <laughs> currently dead but zombified Paul McCartney you sound like think about right? it hold it think about it he probably actually got the guys from the Archies he may have yeah, yeah. it was like well we can re-record these and then we can take that so we don't have to do anything to get the drum track yeah. who are we gonna get anything? to play drums you know? we don't need them <laughs> right exactly we've got a machine yep. boom put it together and out it goes and because consumers are terrible people it went all it was huge. I actually remember this song being on the radio a lot. Yeah. And again, songs like this one, like Hooked on Classics, like Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers. Oh, that was a little um, later though. That was like at the tail end of the eighties. You know what though? It was so popular. This whole like mashup, as we call it now, of songs was so popular. Do you remember the Beach Boys actually recorded their own medley? Yep. There was the Beach Boys medley. I think I have the 45, the stars on 45 somewhere around in the house. It was all Beach Boys songs kind of sewn together like stars on 45, but it was actually the Beach Boys actually playing the songs. Yeah. Sounds like something Brian Wilson had nothing to do with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm still a little amazed that the guy from Golden Earring had a part in this because 1980, 1981, isn't that that's around the same time as the launch of MTV, and yep. it's kind of around the same time that they recorded that Twilight Zone song, right? He right. must have been like, "Well, and there's no money in this," or he's like, "Oh, I got a side hustle. That's the golden earring thing, yep. you know." But they had, they had already had a hit in the '70s with Radar Love that went worldwide. Yeah. Like Moontan's a great record, and right. but I guess if you've got a studio and you're like, "I don't know what to do between now and next time we put out the record." Yep. <laughs> We were talking about this before the show. What amazed me is like there must have been like a time, a one year span of time where lawyers were all engaged in such high profile cases <laughs> that they didn't come and sue people that did stuff like this into the neutral zone. Because <laughs> clearly this is like a copyright. I don't know how you, you, you would never get copyright from Apple Records or Capitol Records to do this. You'd never get it. You'd never, ever get it in the history of ever. Right. The only way you'd ever get it is if you just did it. Yep. It harkens back to like something that at some point we'll talk about on its own worst song ever, like like super garbage, like corrosive garbage, like Dickie Goodman, who was a DJ who used to stitch things together with like interstitial jokes. Oh, like Mr. Jaws. He did Mr. Jaws and some yeah. other yeah, the Mr. Close Encounters. It's terrible. Yeah, um, I was actually going to suggest that one soon. Uh, it's, it's coming, Bill. Yep. Spoiler alert, guys. Uh, so they must have had a lot of awesome and amazing musicians and studio musicians to stitch all this together. So congratulations, guys. You pulled it off. Uh, I actually have a Stars on 45 album on MP3. It's hilarious because it's like a Stars on 45 greatest hits. It's yep. called 
the very best of Styles on 45. And then a couple of years later, they put out another compilation album called The Best of Stars at 45, which I guess is a step down from the very best of Stars on 45. Right. Speaking of amazing musicians, I got my trivia question. I got the answer to my trivia question coming up. I got the answer to your trivia question as well, so, I think. the amazingly popular uh, Lou Reed song, Wild Side, the one where the girls go do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Uh, that song uh, ends with a very sexy and slow, jazzy-sounding saxophone solo i guess you would call it or a lead or whatever Mm -hmm. and a famous musician is playing that saxophone who is playing that saxophone my initial guess when you presented this trivia question to me was like clarence clements you said "Eh, that's a good guess but it is a good guess i'm glad this is a great trivia question for you so that made me rethink clarence clements as an answer and while i think he may have only been five years old when this record was recorded i'm gonna guess that it's the tenor sax player that makes the older white ladies moist. Kenny G. Kenny G at five years old, but with the lungs of a seven-year-old, did not play the saxophone solo at the end oh. of Wildside. No, that is actually, are you ready for this? You're going to be floored. David Bowie. David Bowie? That is David Bowie playing the saxophone at the end of that song. Yep. Well, not the hoople. Who would have thought that David Bowie would be the saxophone player on Wild Side? Well, color my green-eyed blue. Next, you're going to tell me he was dancing in the street. Yep. Mick Jagger. Uh, I had no idea. That's a great great answer. All right. So, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here next week, guys. Seven days. Set your watches. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. And goodnight, all you young dudes. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibbly or TWW. Actually, uh, Jeff, on on further research, that's like a misnomer. uh, (laughs) A popular rumor is that David Bowie played the saxophone at the end of that song, but turns out... So it it really was was Kenny G. It was not Kenny G. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Clarence turns out, turns out it was the guy who taught David Bowie to play the saxophone when David Bowie was a little kid. Well, that's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. His name is Ronnie Ross. Ronnie Ross. Or as I like to call him, Kenny G. <laughs> a special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibbly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already. And tell your friends, maybe they need to learn how to spell potato. Potato.